To those of you who are online, we welcome you as well as you are watching with us. I am so glad that we can worship the Lord together in fellowship as we gather around our risen King, as we gather around the Word, the living and breathing and active Word of the Lord. I know many of you know me, I am super excited about God's Word. I love preaching and teaching God's Word, reading and experiencing God's Word, and we're going to do that this morning. If you would uh, turn your hearts to prayer with me, and then we will jump into our third week in the story of Joseph. Father, we thank you for the love that you lavish upon us, your children. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we uh, open up the scriptures that you have written, that you will make them come alive to our hearts this morning. May we, as we approach the scripture, expect you to bring transformation into our hearts and into our lives, not simply education for our minds. God, we ask that you will speak the truth of your word to our hearts this morning. In your holy and precious name, amen. Amen. Often we tend to like the story of an underdog. And when I think of an underdog story, the, the popular story of Rudy comes to mind pretty quickly. Some of you are wondering, what is Rudy? Who is Rudy? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Those of you who are probably younger than 18 have no idea what I'm talking about. But there was this story of an underdog kid named Rudy who really wanted to play football for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Now, he didn't have necessarily the grades or the money or even, quite frankly, the skill to play at that level. But because it was such a passionate desire of his heart, he pursued it with all that he had. Went to community college so that he could transfer into Notre Dame. And he did eventually do that with his education. He grew in his skills. And finally, at the end of the season, he played one snap. He had succeeded in receiving what he was trying to gain, right? That's an underdog story, one that we root on, and we're excited for Rudy. But if we're honest, we don't like to be the underdog. We don't like to be Rudy because that means that we have to work really hard to get that which we would like to achieve. We don't like to be the underdog because there's lots of suffering and pain that goes into being the underdog. And we look at the story of Joseph, and we all have a picture of the end, so it can be difficult for us to enter into the middle of his story and see him as an underdog. But as he was in prison, where it looked as if he had no hope of getting out of prison, he himself was an underdog. He lived a life that was gaining towards what God had, but it had yet not appeared. But he continued to walk down that journey. A mentor of mine once said that discipleship is long obedience in one direction, where we are continuously obedient, pointing towards the direction that God has called us to. Many times we are called to long, often difficult obedience in the same direction. I added that one piece because we're all called to long obedience as we live lives of walking in obedience to our, our Father, following our Savior. But I put the often difficult because sometimes discipleship is tough. Sometimes it's not easy. 
Sometimes it's difficult. And this is one of the things I love about the Bible. All other religious texts make the heroes of their religion constantly awesome. They never have problems. They're always winning. They're always on top. They're always successful. None of their horror stories are told. We would imagine then that they don't have horror stories. But the Bible is real and explains all of humanity. Not just our awesomeness, which is very little, but also our fleshly disappointments. Also the struggles that we have in life. And Joseph's story is exactly that. Joseph was an underdog. He experienced pain, tribulation, and trial. He lived within the human condition that you and I live in as well. And so we can learn lessons from his long obedience in the same direction as we pick up his story while he's in prison. The question that we will be asking and then answering then is how can we walk in long obedience like Joseph? How can we do it? Well, if you remember, last week we ended with Joseph in prison, but he was also in charge of all things. And Joseph, we see now, is in charge of all things within the prison, yet we have to remember he's still in prison, right? We can say, oh, he's he's got it easy, he's got it made. No, he's still in prison. And then while he's in prison, something happens. Two guys in his cell have dreams, And they share their dreams with him. They're both disturbed by their dreams. And, you know, they're just trying to figure out what in the world do these things mean. Well, God had given this awesome kid dream abilities. Now, he had a dream that he bragged about, and we remembered his his arrogance in sharing that dream. But God had given him the gift to interpret these dreams. And so he interprets these dreams for these two men. Now, we see that one guy had a pretty good dream interpretation. Hey, you're going to get out of jail, and you're going to go back to work. You're going to be able to do that which you've been created to do. And the other guy, he's like, I'm sorry to tell you, but you're going to die soon. That's not a really good interpretation, right? If you go to your wife and you say, hey, I had this dream. The Lord's saying, you're probably going to die tomorrow. That's not fun to hear. That's not something that you'd want to say, right? That's, this is what was happening within this interpretation. So we are now caught up with Joseph's story. He had just shared with these two guys what their dreams meant. I think the first lesson that we can learn in order to walk in long obedience like Joseph is the way of remembering. When you feel forgotten, remember the Lord has not forgotten you. If you look at that passage really quickly as we've caught up to where he's at, Genesis uh, 23-41 through says this, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. Now, why is that important? Joseph asked this man one thing. After he interpreted the dreams and it came true, he said to the cupbearer, look, you're going back to your job. Please just do me one favor. One favor. Remember me. That's all he asked. He asked the cupbearer to remember him. Please, as you go back to your job, you're a cupbearer. You hang out with Pharaoh every day, all day. You protect Pharaoh from poison every day, all day. You're going to see him. You're going to have his ear. He talks to you. You talk to him. Just do me one favor. Don't forget me. Well, 
The chapter says this, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. And then verse 41, or chapter 41, one says, after two whole years. Now, here's Joseph in jail. And he says to the cupbearer, who's going directly to Pharaoh, don't forget me. I bet you, if I were Joseph, I'd be waiting the next day like, oh, he's going to tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh's going to get me out of this thing. Right? He's going to say, this guy, Joseph, he told me everything that I dreamed and it came true. And here I am with you, Pharaoh. He's like excited about this. So he went to his jail buddy, the jailer, and was like, hey, did anybody write me a letter today? Nope. Sorry, Joseph. No one even knows you're here. No, that's not true. The next day, did anyone write me a letter today? Did Pharaoh come down to say hello? (laughs) Joseph, what's wrong with you? Imagine this happens for two years. I would probably give up after the third day and say, oh, it's over. But Joseph continued knowing that God was going to do something. He didn't know when. He didn't know what. He didn't know how. But we see that Joseph never gave in to depression because he remembered that God had not forgotten him. How often do we walk in life and things transpire in our worlds and we feel forgotten? The cupbearer forgot Joseph, but God had not forgotten Joseph. How often do we wander through life saying, this is just, this has got to stop. God, have you forgotten me? We must look at the promises of Scripture and realize that God has not forgotten us. Deuteronomy 31, 6 says, He does not forget us, nor does He leave us, nor does He forsake us. Although that can be difficult to believe, it's true. Despite the circumstances that are going on in your life, the prison that you yourself might find yourself in, take solace in Joseph's story. For two years, he waited for word that the cupbearer had told Pharaoh about him. But he didn't try and make it happen on his own. He waited. And the Lord then eventually provided, as we'll see. Two whole years but God had not forgotten him. Chuck Swindoll talks about affliction in our lives in many of his books. In one of his books, he says, Affliction is gold in the making for the child of God. And God is the one who determines how long the process takes. He alone is the refiner. Here in this time, as Joseph was waiting, I'm sure some of it was not patient. I'm sure there were some moments of impatient waiting. But God was refining him. God was developing him into the man and the leader that he was going to be. You and I, we may need to go through prison before we are promoted. Sometimes we have to go through our own prison before we are promoted. And that's never fun. Like I said, we don't like to be the underdog in the story. We always want to be the hero that easily wins. Right? We all love Superman, at least I do, because he just is undefeatable. You might say, what about kryptonite? Eh, It's debatable, right? Superman's awesome because he has all the powers that you can imagine in a superhero. We want to be that superhero, but yet we live within the human condition and we experience prison often. Prison. How do we respond to our prison? How are we reacting? What are we feeling and thinking of God and of ourselves when we're in those times? Joseph gives us a great example 
of how to live in prison. Because sometimes we may need prison before we are promoted. I've often found in my own life that those difficult prison times have shaped me better than the good times. The good times, things are easy. I kick back, I relax, and then I realize, wow, I've just wasted a whole lot of time because things were so easy. But when things are tough, it puts us on our knees a little bit more. We get a little bit more involved with our relationship with God, crying out to him a lot more. Why is that? Well, because we want escape. We want help. We should learn the lessons that we have learned in prison into our promotion where we spend time with God in desperation at all times. But we don't often take that lesson with us because things are a little bit easier. Joseph is going to show us that he also takes that out of prison and into his prominence, not just the time in prison. Swindoll says, what you have to do while you wait is to believe his promises. While in the darkness of your dungeon, by faith, trust him to bring the light of a new dawn. In the winter of your discontent, believe there will be a spring. Now in Pennsylvania, believe there will be a summer. You will get out of this time. God will draw you out. Sometimes we will ourselves out of something that God wants to use to refine us. He wants to use that prison to develop us into the person who can be promoted, who can walk into prominence. But when we're in it, don't allow the lies of the enemy to come and say that you're forgotten, that God does not love you, God does not care about you. Look at how awful life is right now. How could a loving God remember you? That's a lie. When we feel forgotten, we are not forgotten. One of the prayers of my life that I often pray goes like this, Lord, may I never be promoted beyond my character. May I never be promoted beyond my character. Here, Joseph's character was being refined. He was being refined. If you were to go back to his 17-year-old days, that arrogant, pesky little kid who bragged to his brothers, you put that dude in leadership, there's a whole lot of problems that are going to happen. He's going to mess it up. He's going to do it for himself. He's going to walk in narcissistic tendencies, and he's going to just embrace everything for Joseph. He needed to be changed. His character needed to be refined. One of the things I fully believe about why many leaders fall, especially Christian leaders today, why we see all of it happening is because they allow themselves to be promoted before their character was ready to receive it. We see these guys walk into these really big churches as 25-year-olds, and they just weren't ready yet. Their character was not yet refined and developed. And it's sad to see how big the fall is and how many people go with them. Sometimes when I pray that prayer, I recognize that I'm also praying for those prisons that will create that time of refinement for my character to be developed. Joseph's character was being refined. The second way that he gives us in his life is not just remembering that we are not forgotten, but also the way of allowance. Reject self-promotion and allow the Lord to promote you instead. Let's read the bigger chunk of this story from Genesis 41, 33 through 41. Now therefore let Pharaoh, this is Joseph talking to Pharaoh, 
Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Reject self-promotion and allow the Lord to promote you instead. Here, Joseph is in prison for two whole years. He's waiting for the cupbearer to remember him. And the, the cupbearer has forgotten him. Pharaoh has this, this crazy dream, and then he has another crazy dream. One dream has fat cows, the other dream has small, skinny cows. And he has no idea what this means. I mean, I wouldn't know, because I'm not a farmer. I don't deal with cows at all. I would have no clue either. Here he is, sitting on his throne, wondering, why am I dreaming these dreams? And then, out of nowhere, the cupbearer is like, a dream. I had a dream once. I didn't know what the dream meant either. How did I figure that out? <gasps> Joseph. So he tells Pharaoh, hey, there's this guy in jail who interpreted my dream, and it was right, so he might be able to rightly interpret your dream. So Pharaoh brings Joseph before him, and Pharaoh is, in fact, ecstatic because Joseph is able to share with him what his dream means. And Joseph credits God with all of these things, saying that God has given it to him, the ability, and God is going to make these things happen. The fat cows are seven years of plenty, and the thin cows are seven years of famine. And then Joseph tells him what he should do. He says, this is what, I, this is what needs to happen, because this is the case. Now imagine a guy coming out of prison and sharing this really elaborate thing of how to save Egypt, and just stepping back, and not saying, hey, you should pick me to do that. But simply saying, this is what needs to happen. And stepping back. He didn't say, I need to be the person. He didn't say, hey, I've been wallowing in prison for two years. This is my chance. No, he doesn't try and do that at all. He simply explains to Pharaoh what needs to be done. The Lord has given Joseph this wisdom and this discernment. And he willingly, freely shares it with Pharaoh. He could have been put back into prison. I want you to understand, Joseph shares this elaborate scheme of what needs to happen, shares the story of what God is explaining, and steps back and does not promote himself for the job. After he explains all of these things, he literally could be put back in prison. Thank you, Joseph. Pat on the head. Send you back to prison. But no, Pharaoh notices something about this kid. He notices that this young man has the Spirit of God living within him. 
And although Pharaoh has very little understanding of one great God, because of all the Egyptian gods that are in his paradigm, he sees that this guy has something divine and powerful, and if we don't have this guy lead, we're in trouble. But not only does it say, hey, take care of this, this plan, he puts him in charge of everything. Of everything. He came out of prison. Imagine the president of the United States, this guy comes out of prison, tells him this really cool plan. He's like, yep, you're in charge, everything. My cabinet's gone, everybody's gone, the judicial system, trash, it's you and me. I'll just sit and look pretty, but you're actually the leader. That would be bananas. But that's just what happened. He did not promote himself at all. Matthews, a commentator, says this, The king concluded that only a person who possessed the Spirit of God in measure could have discerned the significance of the dreams. In effect, Joseph's blueprint for the chief administrator was his own resume. He was wise and discerning. It's the same phrase used by Joseph. So far-sighted was Joseph's plan, the king realized that no one but God could have made all this known making Joseph exceptional in the kingdom. Here's another thing that we can take away from this, is that when we are surrendered to the Spirit and His will, He will open the doors. He will open the doors. Now, it might not always be the door that you were wanting to be opened. You might want a promotion at your job, or you might want something different at the business with which you work, or something like that where you're saying, I want that promotion, I want that, that edge, I want that lift up for me in finances or position. Right? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when we are surrendered to the Lord, the doors that he has for us to go in will be opened. They will be opened. Because we are listening to his will, we are following his word, we are proclaiming his truth, and he's going to open those doors, and we need to, as we'll see in a little bit, walk through those doors. But God has not forgotten us. God has a plan and a will and a way for our lives. God has designed you and created you for a purpose. He's created you on purpose for purpose. We just have to simply ask, Lord, what is my purpose? You have created me. You have developed me. You have developed my character. I've walked through these prisons. Now where is the promotion and the prominence that you have for me? It might not be the promotion or the prominence that you want, but trust me, God will open the door that you are to walk through, just as he did for Joseph. Swindoll says of this moment, absent of self-ambition, Joseph refused to promote himself. How refreshing. How rare. We like to talk about ourselves a lot, don't we? We like to sing our own praises. We like to just describe how wonderful we are at certain things. But at the core of all the things that we have to offer this world, this is it. Empty hands. We have nothing. We have nothing. But God makes us something. Joseph understood that. He went from arrogant 17-year-old to a 30-year-old who recognized who he was in the Lord. It took 13 long, hard years of success and failure, of prison, not prison, of prominence in a, uh, an official's house to prison, back to prominence. 
13 years of character development brought him to a place where he was now. The third way Joseph gives us to live and lead in this way is the way of preparation. Oftentimes, suffering prepares us for power. He says this in 4151, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. This sounds very similar to a point that we had already made, but this is talking about suffering preparing us for power, not just for prominence, not as we are remembered, but this is a description of what he is saying about his son. I'm naming him this because God has brought me through these trials. I can now forget them. Now he's not saying I'm going to forget what they've developed within me. He's saying they are now past me. I am now shaped because of my past. I am now who I am and can forget what has happened because I am a new person in this new season, in this new time of my life. He recognizes, although it might seem a little bit confusing with what I'm stating he said, but he in this passage is recognizing that he was shaped from his past, that his suffering prepared him for power. Often we don't like suffering, but God can and will use all suffering in our lives to develop us into better, holier people. Better holier people. A.W. Tozer once said this, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Now, what Tozer is not saying is that God is a mean kid sitting on an anthill trying to burn our feelers off with a magnifying glass. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that God steps back and allows those things to happen to us and then he enters in to help use those moments to shape us. Someone who has gone through a great amount of pain and God has brought that testimony to salvation and change and transformation, that is powerful. That person is stronger than they could ever imagine being had that situation not happened in their lives. I know that to be true with my own life. When I walk through all kinds of stuff with my family and the past pain of divorce and abandonment from my mom and all these different things in life, God brought a huge change in my life, my brother's life, my sister's lives. I can honestly say I would have no idea where I am, where I would be today without those hard, difficult, shaping moments in my life. I don't know where I would be. I may not be here. I may have decided to rebel and walk away from the Lord. Who knows? But I do know that those moments shaped me. Those moments shaped my mom and my father and my brother and my sister. And we were all walking with the Lord in a way that we could not have done without those moments. And so maybe you're going through a time of pain and suffering right now. God does not delight in your pain. But God delights in coming with you in your pain. To develop you, to strengthen you, and to make you holier and holier, and holier. God is there with you. As one phrase used to go, I don't even remember who said it, but it's in the crucible of life we are formed. Crucible is not a fun word. It's a difficult word. It might sound like crucifixion because it, it is pretty difficult. But in the crucible of life we are formed. As we live life and experience these moments of pain, God shapes us, molds us, and makes us holier. 
The next thing that we can see from Joseph's life is that when things go well, we must give God all the glory. When things go well, we must give God all the glory. Let's circle back to 41, 28 through 32 and then end it with 41, 52. Verses 28 through 32 say this. This is him talking to Pharaoh again. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them there will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. In verse 52, the name of the second son he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. It circled back to the, the interpretation of the dreams because constantly Joseph is saying that God will do this. God has revealed this. God will make this happen. God is going to make sure this happens. This is why you had the dream twice. He's explaining what God is saying, what God is doing, and attributing everything to God. Even the ability to interpret it. He is giving that to God. And then, as he sees his second son born, he remembers what God has done. And he recognizes that the only reason he is fruitful in life is because God made it happen. You see, we really like to blame God when things go bad, and we like to pat ourselves and applaud ourselves when things go good. Don't we? Often, that's what we do. I've experienced it in my own life, I'm sure you have as well, where you're in the wallowing of the suffering of pain and say, God, why did you do this to me? And then you're on the mountain and you're getting promoted and everything is happening the way you wanted it to and you say, wow, I've worked so hard. I'm so good. And we have this myth, this American myth, that we can be self-made men and women. Did you know that's a lie? It's a myth. There is no such thing as a self-made man. You might say, well, this person, they came out of squalor and they came into splendor. Wow, that's, that person did it themselves. Man, who gave that guy breath? Who gave that man the ability to work, to think, to move, to be where that person was in that moment, in that time frame, to be able to do that which he did? He had nothing to do with that. He did not knock on heaven's door and say, I'm going to be born to this woman at this time during this day. And I'm going to be this big and this gender. He had nothing to do with that. It was all God. Joseph recognizes that everything that happened in his life was all God. The 17-year-old Joseph would have said, look what I did, guys. Bow down like the dream. But no, here he's like, huh. As I look back, as I reflect upon my life, son, I want you to be named Ephraim so that not just me and your brothers and your cousins, but for everyone to know that I am fruitful in this land because of God. He didn't name his son Joseph. He named his son Ephraim. 
because he wanted for all time, all people, all family members to know that the only reason they were fruitful in Egypt is because of God. Whew. I just, that's not coffee, that's a spirit. I'm excited. There's no self-made man. When we think that we are self-made, just break that lie out of your head. If you celebrate yourself for where you are and think, man, I've really achieved these things, you've said way too many eyes. It's the Lord and the Lord alone. He is the one who makes men rise and makes men fall. It is not you. We bring nothing. The next thing that we can see is that when called, we are to walk in the calling that we have received. Verse 57 says, Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was so severe over all the earth. Pharaoh opened the door for Joseph to experience prominence from prison. Joseph could have said, oh, Pharaoh, I'm not going to do that. Nope, that's, mm -mm. I don't want to work that way. I'll go back to prison and hang out. Because check this out, though. Like, I, I think one of the things that we do often with the stories in the Scripture is that we take them for granted because we've just heard them so many, so many, so many times. But think about this. Pharaoh says, okay, Joseph, I'm going to believe you that your dreams were true. And not only am I going to believe that your dreams are true, I'm going to actually put you in prominent power over these things that have not yet happened, but that you said they were going to happen. And I'm going to trust you that if there are seven years of famine, that no Egyptian will actually die during this time because you've done your job properly. But if Joseph was wrong, the dreams weren't from God. If Joseph really was bad at the job and miscalculated by like three years, and for three years every Egyptian dies, there is so much pressure on this guy. Who would step into a job where your entire life now is going to be making sure that the nation doesn't die of hunger? That's your whole job. And it's all on you. The calculations, figuring it out, how to do it, who to tell what to do. I mean, that is not an easy job. I will not sign up for that job. Because if anyone in the nation dies, who are they going to blame? Me. Who's Pharaoh going to blame? If it goes bad and people are dying all over Egypt, what's going to happen to the number two person? That's not an easy job. But think we like, oh yeah, Joseph's just like, whoo, easy job, I could do that. No, this is not an easy choice. But because he knows it's God, because he knows he's called, because he knows that God opened this door, he walks in it. So when God opens those doors, when God brings a calling to your life, walk in the calling that you have received. And watch the power that God has in your life, not because of you, but through you. And see what you can do for his kingdom when you walk in your calling. Yes, some of the things that we're called to could be pretty freaky. Could be really difficult. Could be <laughs> scary to think that they're going to actually be pressure on me that way. But man... When we do that, God will use you in incredible, incredible ways. This task was not easy, but Joseph stepped into it because he knew who God was and he knew who he was. Security in our identity and calling gives us the strength to walk in our calling. When you feel not remembered, remember God remembers you. He remembers you. Remember who you are. You are loved as a child of God. Your Father loves you. 
you were not left alone. You will not be forsaken. God has a purpose for your life. You were created on purpose for a purpose. Although science might try to tell us different that we're accidents and we have accidentally been here to do accidental things. That doesn't make any sense. But God has created us on purpose for a purpose. We must walk in the calling that he's given to us. May we be people who know who he is so we can know who we are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of Joseph. I thank you for all of Scripture. I thank you that you did not sanitize humanity at all. And I thank you for the lessons that we can learn from each and every one of the individuals that we're going to be looking at in the coming weeks. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that we will grasp these truths from Joseph's life and walk in them. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.